Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast. Today we start a new Sefer, Shmuel Aleph. And today, Perak Aleph. Welcome to the world of Shmuel Aleph. What an amazing Sefer. Uh, this book is a transitional book. If I had to think about something that it really talks about, its topic, it talks about the foundations of the monarchy, of the national leadership. And it is a book which takes us from the Shofet to the Melech, from the judge to the king. It takes us from the institution of the priests to the institution of the prophets. And it takes us from the Mishkan to the verge of the Migdash. Really, this is a book about setting up the robustness of our national institutions. A second thing which characterizes this book is the notion of its rich depictions of leaders. There's almost not a moment, unlike the book of Shoftim, where we are left leaderless. We start off and we open up the book with the leadership, the national leadership of Eli. And then we move on to the leadership of Shmuel, Samuel. And from then, straight into the leadership of Saul, King Saul, Shaul, and from then to King David. So the Chazal say, Ad shelo shaka'a shimsho shel Eli, ala shimsho shel Shmuel. Ad shelo shaka'a shimsho shel Shmuel, ala shimsho shel Shaul, etc. One leader had not, his son had not set before the other one was already rising. We see a continuity of leadership, which is just wonderful. So let's um, really dive in. And we enter, if we saw in the last chapter of Shoftim, a Shiloh, a Shiloh where the Mishkan stands, which nobody seems to visit and nobody knows about. And if we saw mistaken vows, our chapter is going to bring us into a Shiloh, which is regularly visited. And in fact, we're going to have an appropriate vow. Because we meet a man who is actually a Levi. His name is Elkanah, the one who is zealous for God, Elkanah. And um, he comes from Har Ephraim. If you've been following our podcasts on Shoftim, you'll know that this is one of the key places in the final chapters. But of course, what does he do? He comes up to um, worship in Shiloh, miyamim yamima, on a regular basis. In fact, Chazal talk about his zealousness and say that each time he went to Shiloh, he went a different route. He took a different, um, a different path to encourage people to go there. And it certainly seems like Elkanah and his family go year after year after year, and they are the minority. They are the Levium who keep the place running. Here we meet the heroine of our chapter, Chana. Uh, we read about Chana and her tsara, her agitator, her co-wife, Penina. Penina has lots of children. She has sons and daughters. Ula Chana, ein yeladim. Right? Chana has no children. And... We meet on her on a particular um, visit where her husband tries to console her. He says, Lama tivki Why do you cry every time you come? Why do you 
refuse to eat. Lama Yerala Vavich, why are you so depressed? And she gets up to pray in a very, very emotional state. It says, Marat Nefesh, she was bitter, but Hashem, she prays to God, and she she cries bitterly later when she's challenged. The high priest thinks she's drunk. Can you imagine praying in such intensity that somebody thinks that you are drunk? She must have been when she when she says, um, Ishak Shatruachanochi, it Hashem. I, I, I'm in a terrible state. I'm pouring out my heart to God. We, we, we really believe it. One of the big questions that we might ask about this story is why Chana prays so intently this year. By the way, the Talmud in Masechet Brachot learns an entire list of things about the appropriate mode of prayer from Chana. She becomes a paradigm, a teacher to all of us in terms of prayer. But why did she pray this year? And I heard a wonderful answer um, in the name of Rav Soloveitchik. And the answer goes like this. Every single year it tells us that uh, when Chana would be there, um, she'd get upset, she'd cry, she wouldn't eat. But this year she prays. What happened? And the answer is this. Elkanah spoke to her and tried to console her and said, Why are you crying? Why don't you eat? Why are you so depressed? Halo anochi tovlach me asara banim. Am I not better for you than ten children? And it was put like this. You know, in a, in a rational world, in a world of medicine that we live in, we will always try, if somebody gets a prognosis, we'll always try to go to the next doctor. We'll try to go to another healer. We'll try to find a different cure. We'll find to f- try and find an alternative uh, medicine. But what happens when all the medical professionals, what happens when all of the people who are looking after our health, chas shalom, turn to somebody and say, there is no hope? Elkanah turns around to her after year, after year, after year, when she cries, and he says to her, why do you always cry? Why don't you eat? I'm better than 10 children. In other words, he says to her, Chana, we've been to all the doctors. We've done every fertility treatment. We've tried. We've, we've gone here. We've gone there. Chana, it's time to accept it. It's time to accept you're not going to have children. But I'm better for you than 10 children. I love you so, so much. When Chana hears this, when she realizes that not only does she have a tsara, a co-wife who agitates her, but that her husband, her husband is not even going to support her. This is when she realizes that she can only turn to Hashem, that she can only turn to God. She can't rely on anybody else. And she stands and makes her famous vow to God. And she says, If you see my suffering, and if you remember me, if you give me a male child, then I will give him to Hashem all the days of his life. And indeed, um, she cries with all her soul and Hashem answers her. And at the end of the story, world and sometimes the interesting thing is where does prayer kick in when rationalism ends when all of the logical means have, have, have exhausted themselves 
that's when we pray in a sense of desperation. And I think that's something we can learn from this story. I'll just say one last thing about this chapter, and that is that there's a very interesting linguistic thing. She calls him Shmuel, because I have borrowed him from God, or I have maybe even requested him from God. Mishol can mean to request. Mishol can also mean to borrow. And at the end of the chapter, when she actually brings him to Shiloh, she says, I prayed for this child. And I, Hashem, granted me the request which I requested from him. And now I have lent him to God. All the days that he has lent to God. It's interesting that his name maybe should not be Shmuel, but instead it should be Shaul. Um, uh, we will find that Shmuel's destiny and Shaul's legacy are going to be intimately tied. And so we see this story, a simple family, a husband, two wives and a Chana who prays from the bottom of her heart for her heart's request for a child. And indeed, Hashem gives her that child. So indeed, may we also, our prayers, and particularly the prayers of the childless, be answered May our true heart's desires be fulfilled by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Amen.